Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Today's episode is sponsored by Ravel and Bethany House Publishers, which are divisions of Baker Publishing Group. Find out more at bakerpublishinggroup.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Madlet Musings. This is Jamie Joe, your host, and today I'm super excited to have, um, I, I was going to say a sister from the publishing house, but she's she says she is. She's a sister from the publishing house. I'm from Bethany House. She's from Ravel, and we're both under Baker Publishing. So this is Amanda Cabot, everyone. Welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me to be here, Jamie Joe. It's always fun to be with you. It is so much fun to chat with you, too, and I've always been a a big fan of your books because I think I've read pretty much every single one of them I haven't read this one yet though so this one needs to go on my to be read pile but let's just kick it off because you've got a book coming out or or it's out and um I need to hear what it what it's about so tell us a little bit about that well first of all it has the most incredible cover oh my goodness it's beautiful the title is after the Shadows, and this is the first in my new series called The Secrets of Sweetwater Crossing. Mm. So as you can guess from a series that's called Secrets, there are a lot of them. There are individual secrets in each book, okay. and there is an overriding one that goes throughout the trilogy, and you don't get the answer to that until the third book. Hate to do that to readers, but... Oh. <laughs> that's a killer oh but it's such a no, good one <laughs> I know I did it in a few series ago and said I'd never do it again but here I am there you back are to an overarching secret which is what happened to the man who built this house Ooh. okay Ooh. the house is called Finley House and my books take place in the Texas Hill Country I had when the cover was first released, you know, when we did the cover reveal, one of my friends who lived in the Hill Country sent me an email that said, gorgeous house, but where in the Hill Country did you find it? I said, it's not a Hill Country house, and it isn't. It's out of its place in Sweetwater Crossing. The story is that a man from Alabama wanted to leave Alabama he came to Texas, fell in love with the Hill Country, and he wanted to bring his fiancée there. This is where they were going to live. Her father was a plantation owner, and he said, no, you are not taking my daughter off to the wilds of Texas. The <laughs> only way I'll agree to this is if you can take care of her in the manner to which she's accustomed, and that involves having a house as gorgeous as the plantation mansion that she grew up in. Uh -huh. So Live says, all righty, you want to be that way? I'm going to build you a house like that. So he builds this house and everybody in town goes, hmm, you know, I don't know about this, but Clive's a pretty nice guy. So they put up with the fact that this house is decidedly out of place Yes, in a town founded by Germans who are very practical. I mean, they have smaller houses. There's mm -hmm. nothing... You don't need a dual staircase going up to the front and you don't need columns on it. Ah, Finley House has all those things. I love it. So the house is basically finished and the war between the states begins. 
It's January of 1861, and the southern states are starting to secede. Clive, the man who built the house, disappears. He leaves abruptly. He doesn't say goodbye to his friends. He just leaves. And everyone assumes that he went back to Alabama to fight with his countrymen. Mm-hmm. Is that what really happened? Well, maybe not. <laughs> Meanwhile, his best friend is the minister in town, Joseph Vaughn. And Clive knew he was going to be going back to Alabama to get his his fiance and bring her back. And he said to Joseph, look, you and your family need a bigger place. The parsonage that you're living in is way too small for a family with three daughters in it. So why don't you move into Finley House and stay there until I come back? Well, it's 20 some years later and the family is still living there. Oh my goodness. I've never came back. Wow. And you're not gonna tell us why until the end of the third book? I'm not. I mean, I can't spoil the story. Besides, I haven't finished writing the third book. You do know what happens. You do know what happens. Okay. I was going to say, well, you're like me. Sometimes it's the last few pages and you're like, oh, that's what happened. (laughs) Oh, well, that sounds super exciting. And so that's the overarching story. And then this is obviously the first book. So who's the main character in this book and, and what does that center on then? There are three sisters in the family and they're part of what we would call a blended family. Although of course, no one used that term in the 19th century. Right. Emily is the oldest. Her mother is a wid- was a widow uh, and Emily is part of her first marriage. Emily's mother marries Joseph, the minister who had a daughter of his own Joanna. And then the two of them have a third daughter, Louisa. Aha, okay. Readers don't meet Joanna in the first book. There are references to her, but she's off in Europe. She's a pianist and she's studying with maestros in Europe. Meanwhile, Emily left Sweetwater Crossing something like 15 months before the book started because she fell in love with this man who came to town in -hmm. search of a bride and he married Emily. Mm-hmm. And they went off, Emily thought, to live happily ever after. Uh, didn't work out that way. Mm. It turned out um, that it was an abusive marriage. Mm. And she wanted nothing but to get out of this marriage. But, you know, in the 19th century, she's not going to divorce. Right. Especially being a minister's daughter. Right. And um, fortunately, her husband is killed in a bar fight. And no one's really sorry about that, least of all Emily. Right. But she finds out she's inherited nothing. Mm. He's left the ranch to a distant relative. So she has nothing except the horse that her parents gave her as a wedding gift. So she returns to Sweetwater Crossing. She knows that her mother has just died. What she is not prepared for is, number one, her sister Louisa's resentment that she left. Mm. And the fact that the day that she returns to Sweetwater Crossing, she goes into the barn looking for something and finds her husband, her father hanging from a noose. Yeah. Oh. Now, everyone in Sweetwater Crossing, including her sister Louisa, believes it's suicide. Mm. Emily will not believe it. 
She says, that is not something our father would do. And Louisa says, Emily, just accept reality. I mean, you know, the man has a noose around his neck. Right, right. Um, and she is determined to prove that it was murder and not suicide. Mm. But meanwhile, the plot thickens because you can imagine as the victim of an abusive marriage, she's very, very wary about mm -hmm. being around men. Mm -hmm. The day that she returns, before she finds her father, there is a fire in town. And what had been the parsonage burns to the ground. Mm. The problem is that the town is getting a new school teacher. And he's a widow, a widower with a young child. He was going to be living in that former parsonage with an older woman who's going to, an older widow, who's going to take care of Noah during the day while Craig, our school teacher, teaches. There's no place for them to live. What are they going to do? Well, Emily's got this huge house, right? Right. Why not share it? <laughs> so she agrees to turn it into a boarding house. She invites the older widow, Mrs. Carmichael, to come and to bring with her the school teacher and his son. Hmm. But she's very wary. I mean, mm -hmm. she just decides, okay, this is what I have to do. It's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It's what my parents would have wanted me to do. Believe me, it's not what her sister Louisa wants her to do. Right. Louisa she doesn't seem too happy. Furious <laughs> about the whole thing. But she says, okay, Craig and Noah can come and live here. Mm. But again, she's going to make sure that she's never alone in a room with him. Right. She's not going to set her up for any kind of problems. Now, as you can guess, historical romance. Eventually, the two of them are going to find their way together. <laughs> but it's not necessarily the easiest way. Right, right. Well, it sounds like quite the adventurous book and lots of mystery involved in the story, too, is because I have a very strong feeling that that um, Emily is more correct than her sister and that there is definitely more to their father's passing. <laughs> I definitely have a feeling it, there is. It's not easy to find out what happened. No. No, no. And, you know, it's funny. I've been watching um, different for the book that I'm writing. I've been watching different crime show televisions about, you know, forensics and, and, and all of that. And back then they did not have what we have today. And even some of the logical common sense conclusions that you can draw today hadn't really been explored back in that time period. Such thing as DNA. Right. Right. That's actually a really recent thing, too. I I'm, yes. I'm always surprised by that, but well, this sounds super exciting. So um, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the angle of the life that Emily has come out of and how you resolve the concept of having been in an abusive relationship and, and experiencing the healing as you come out of that, or does she experience healing? So I'd love to, I'd love to talk more about that when we come back. Are you enjoying today's broadcast with our featured author? You can find out more about them and other authors from Baker Publishing Group at bakerbookhouse.com. 
Use code MADLIT40 for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title at bakerbookhouse.com. This also includes Ravel and Bethany House Publishing. Go over fast. It's MADLIT40. That's your magic code for 40% off any one Baker Publishing Group title. All right, we are back today with Madlet Musings podcast and Amanda, Amanda Cabot, and we are talking about After the Shadows, which is book one in her Texas Hill Country series, and there will be three of them, and we've already found out we're going to have to read all three books to get a completion of The Mystery of the Finley House, but um, we were talking a little bit about Emily, who is your main character in this book, and um, Emily has come out of a marriage that was abusive. And is pretty much from the sounds of what you've said, trying to make her life an existence without a repeat of history. So take us a little bit into your thought process of, of why did you choose that type of a subject line? It's a pretty heavy subject line to, to dive into in Christian historical romance. Interesting, because I've had people say, well, it's such a modern problem. Mm-hmm. And the reality, of course, mm-hmm. is it's not. Um People are fundamentally the same and have been for forever. Now, admittedly, people weren't as open about topics like abuse as we are now, but that doesn't mean it didn't exist. What I have found is that, first of all, I believe in the healing power of love. Mm. I believe in that love between a man and a woman heals and God's love heals us. And if there is a single theme that my books have, it is that healing power of love. And I like to show that. And of course, as I tell people, you know, the more wounded the person is, the greater the healing can be. And in Emily's case, I mean, she's pretty badly wounded. Mm -hmm. She doesn't trust herself. I mean, she thought she had made the right decision marrying George. Clearly it wasn't. But what I have found from letters that I've gotten from readers, is that they really like seeing dark subjects treated Mm. because they can can then envision this happening to themselves. Mm. Fiction puts a a distance between us and reality. And when you put it back 150 years, there's an even greater distance. Mm -hmm. But you can still see what happens to a character and you can still sense that healing and I've had readers tell me that seeing my characters change seeing how they deal with these really tough subjects I mean I had my second book for Ravel the first scene had the heroine is coming to Texas to go to a wedding she's in the stagecoach her parents are killed and she's raped I mean, talk about a heavy first. I remember scene. that book and being like, wow, she really went there. <laughs> I have gotten more yeah. letters from readers about how much those that story helped them. Mm. I've had people say that they saw more when they watched how Priscilla recovered from this horrible, horrible event. That helped them through their own problems more than nonfiction books did, more than therapy did. And it's because, I mean, fiction is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And so 
yeah, I mean, I hate writing about these subjects and the research that I have to do mm-hmm. frequently has me in tears. Yeah. Because of course, you know, as authors, we identify with our characters and we're putting ourselves in their heads. And, and you know, it's like, oh, this is not a good place to be. No. But when you come out on the other end mm-hmm. and the person is healed, the person has overcome these almost incredible, unsurmountable obstacles. There's also this wonderful feeling of, yes, this is the way it is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like that. I mean, when you have traumatic events, whether it's in real life or in fiction, um, it they almost seem so surreal that the idea of being able to come out on the other side and be joyful, you know, have joy again and have happiness seems to be so unreachable. Um, how do you how do you take your character? Obviously, it's fiction, but how do you take your fictional character through that journey? What are some things that they might experience that helps to bring them healing? In in the very specific case of After the Shadows, mm-hmm. we have Emily who's afraid of men, justifiably, right? Um, because she thinks they're brutal. She mm-hmm. thinks they are, can be quick to anger, even though her father wasn't like that. I mean, but she's looking at her contemporaries. And, right, right. And now she's got Craig living in the house. Well, Craig is a widower, and he's very unusual for the time period in terms of his techniques as a teacher. Okay. He does not have a dunce stool in the front mm. of the classroom. He does not cane his students when they misbehave. He says there is no reason to humiliate them. He has other ways of dealing with problem children. (laughs) And she sees that. She sees how gentle he is with his son, how loving he is. Craig uprooted his life. They lived in Galveston, but he realized his son was not getting over his mother's death. And even though people told him, oh, yeah, you know, Noah's little, he'll forget. Noah didn't forget. And so he uproots himself. He moves to the hill country because it's the right thing to do for his son. And it is the right thing. I mean, yeah. Noah Noah recovers and he becomes very attached to Emily. Hmm. So Emily is watching Craig and seeing that he's so very different from George. Mm-hmm. And that helps her along the way. And then he becomes part of the process of finding out what happened to her father. And so so the two of them work together to resolve that mystery. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, their attraction to each other is growing. Craig had no intention of marrying again. His was a a really, really happy marriage. Mm -hmm. His wife died in a freak accident. Mm -hmm. And no one was going to replace Rachel. Right. Well, Emily doesn't replace Rachel. But Emily gets to have her own place in his life. Oh, I love that. And I love to, when you look at healing from traumatic events, and really specifically in the situation of abuse, there's such a stark difference between an abuser whose motivation is selfish and self-centered, and then someone like your Craig character, um, or even in real life, when they're willing to sacrifice on the behalf of not just the people they love, but people that they may not know very well, 
But you look at that story that you wrote where he relocates and pretty much uproots his life for the sake of his son. That's a pretty, you know, we talk about red flags in relationships. To me, that's like a really big white flag flying like, yes, that's what you want to look for. <laughs> Does it someone who isn't concerned only about himself and right. George, the villainous husband, ex-husband, mm. former mm -hmm. husband, whatever we're calling him, yeah, um, only thought of himself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. I, I mean, I don't love the darkness or the trauma, but what I do love about fiction, like you were mentioning earlier, is that beauty of the promises that are able to be communicated through fiction um, in a way that affects readers very personally. Readers tend not to laugh a lot when they read my books, although I try to inject some humorous uh, times, but mm -hmm. they know that it's going to be a struggle for my characters, mm -hmm. but that at the end, it does work out. I mean, that's the contract that a romance author makes with her readers, right. that no matter right. what we put our characters through, there will be that happy ending. Yes, yes. But, you know, some people say, well, that's just not realistic or that just doesn't happen in real life. And and really, I think both you and I can attest in our own faith journeys and our own life stories and our own traumatic events that the Lord really does provide a happily ever after, whether it's here or in eternity. But that is truly the hope that our faith is based on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, so. If your readers are picking up this book and they're going to read it for the story, they're going to read it for the entertainment, what else or what is your biggest wish that you hope your reader walks away from after reading Emily and Craig's story? That they will see the healing power of love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And that they will understand that, you know, the story about we're not, we're never given more than we can handle, even mm -hmm. though it may seem like it at times um that yeah there is a light and uh and there there is healing yeah i love that that's awesome well amanda how do readers find this book find this trilogy that's coming out because you've got they're coming out pretty fast here too like we don't have to wait a whole long time between books no they're coming out faster than normal for me it used to be one a year every march you could count on it well mm -hmm. now this one just came out. The release date was March 21st. Mm -hmm. The second book, which is Against the Wind, has an October 3rd release date, and it's already available for pre-order. Wow. In any place you look. All right. If you're fans of paperback versions, Baker Bookhouse has an incredible deal mm -hmm. where it's 40% off for pre-orders and free shipping. Yes. <laughs> it's the lowest price I've found. It and is. then, of course, it's available at all the normal online spots. Mm -hmm. awesome. And then the third book is Into the Starlight, and that will be out in July of 2024. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. All right. So, readers, you don't have to wait like three years to find out the culmination of this story. <laughs> No, the answer will be coming. It'll be coming. Basically, one summer to one summer is all you got to wait. <laughs> so get all three books on order. Get the first one now. Get the second one in October and get the third one next July. And if you have them all in order, you don't have to remember to order them. 
Um, although I don't know if the, the third one's available for pre-order. Third yet. one's not available for order yet. I'm no. being overly ambitious, but hey. <laughs> oh, and what is your website or a place where readers can find out more about you personally too? Real easy, www.amandacabot.com. So if you can spell my name, you can find it. All right. Sounds great. Well, Amanda, I am so happy to have you with me uh, here today. And maybe we can revisit this interesting house this October with book number two. So we'll have to have you back. Thanks again for inviting me. It is such a pleasure to be with you, Jamie Jo. <laughs> it's a lot of fun to be with you too. Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.